If you have your Bibles with you, we're getting now to, to the ministry of the Word of God. The Bible tells us it is through the foolishness of preaching uh, that the believers are saved. And through hearing God's Word and responding in yourself to what you hear, it can literally, according to the Bible, transform your life to being saved. That is the most important thing that you could ever pursue in your life is to make sure that when a life on earth is through, that we're ready uh, to spend eternity with Jesus and not anywhere else. There is another place the Bible tells us about to avoid, and you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 7, if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of the Word of God. This is tradition of started by Ezra that as he read God's word the people stood in the word of God Exodus 1 chapter 1 verse 7 to 14 and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them uh, this is the children of Israel they had moved over to to Egypt uh, when uh, Isaac and when Jacob and his sons were fleeing the land of Canaan because of a great famine and they were moved down because of their son Joseph into Egypt to in order for them to find food and they stayed there for hundreds of years to the point where we find in, in verse in verse 7 that they grew exceeding mightily and the land was filled with them now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph Joseph was the contact he was the man that would bring them there and he said unto his people behold the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we come on let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land the Egyptians were worried about these Israelites so he said Let, let's let's be wise with them let's deal shrewdly with them therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh treasured cities of Pithom and Ramses but the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and grew and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service whereon they made them serve was with rigor. The Egyptians made life terribly hard for the Israelites to the point, to the extent where they had become slaves. A large number of people had become slaves because Pharaoh was afraid of what they might do I want to talk to you today on this thought what the enemy fears what the enemy fears would you pray with us one more time as let's lift up our voice for the ministry of his word father we stand in all of your presence today we thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in this service already, in your church. Once again, I pray that our hearts would be opened, our minds and our spirits, 
be receptive to the word of God. Anoint your servant and your people today, Lord God. Let us hear from you. And Lord, let there be a transformation here today. Let there be a powerful exchange as your spirit would be made manifest as you confirm your word with signs and wonders following. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands one more time and praise him. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What the enemy fears. General Jonathan Wainwright was the only United States general to be ever captured by the enemy during World War II. If you can just put that picture up there. Uh, he was the only general. Uh, I, I don't know if you know much about history. Uh, I, I am an an avid fan of, of the history of recent times, of course, in World War I, World War II, and Gen General Wainwright was left in charge of Corregidor of the Philippines by his superior general, Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur gave him strict instructions as MacArthur left the Philippines to come to Australia in order to uh, reorganize a counter-offensive to regain uh, control of the, the Asia-Pacific region. And his instruction to Wainwright was never surrender. Fight to the end. But as history would record, Wainwright and his soldiers were uh, uh, ill-equipped, unprepared, and they were quickly overrun by the Japanese in the Philippines. This is, this is history. Uh, thousands died. Hundreds of thousands of Filipinos died. Uh, from the Japanese invasion. And Wainwright was taken to a POW camp in Mongolia. And here he is. Uh, he is ordering the surrender. This is in the Philippines. Ordering a surrender of all of his troops as the Japanese general watched him uh, order the surrender over radio. He was taken along with some of his soldiers to uh, the most harshest of conditions in a, in a prisoner of war camp in Mongolia by the Japanese where he became very, very skinny, small, emaciated. He was already skinny to begin with, as you can see. Uh, but the conditions were so harsh. And he would be in that prison camp all the way up until uh, the Allied forces uh, had been able to turn the tide and de defeat the Japanese in that Asia region. But the problem was, even though... Asia had been liberated. Mongolia was a very far inland part of Asia. It's in the northern part of China. And news had not traveled uh, to this prisoner of war camp uh, until much later. In fact, the commandant, the Japanese commandant of that prisoner of war camp understood and knew he already heard the radio that his, his generals had surrendered to the Allied forces. And yet, he told his, his uh, uh, guards in the prison camp to not allow the prisoners to understand and to know of this news. And so for, for months, they, they knew that they had already been defeated, but they kept these prisoners imprisoned, not telling them that they had already been liberated. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, the Japanese a commandant who was watching this general after Japan had surrendered. 
he knew that they would at some point very soon switch places and the commandant must have trembled at the possibility of facing a captive who would turn around and become his captor every time he saw him the japanese uh, commandant must have felt tremendous uneasiness a fully armed properly fed commandant with more than adequate military force at his disposal was afraid of this weak emaciated dysentery plagued remains of a ragtag army and its limping general uh, wainwright was so weak that that he would hobble on on a walking stick around the camp in order for him just to get by and the only thing that enabled the japanese commandant to keep up this fraud was wainwright's ignorance of the truth wainwright had been liberated but he didn't know it. Uh, neither was he aware that like every other allied POW all over Asia, that he had been ordered by his commander in chief to take charge of the camp. But because Wainwright didn't know the truth, he continued to submit to the commands of his captor, even though his captor no longer had power over him. Amen. Now, nearly 3,000 years ago, the situation with the children of Israel in Egypt was very similar. Pharaoh had absolute control in what was then the known world, having defeated virtually every nation around them. Pharaoh and Egypt were the kings of the world. And yet there was this one nagging fear within the mind of Pharaoh that, that if these slaves, these Israelites, ever got to realize just how powerful they are, if they ever woke up to the reality of who they are, they had the power to change and to, to, to transform the entire landscape of what was going on in that entire world, in what was going on in particular in Egypt. The Israelites were shepherds with no weapons. Humanly speaking, they were powerless. And, but Pharaoh, when he looked at them, he saw their potential. He saw their power. He saw their ability. And he knew what they were capable of. And he was fearful of that they would ever come to discover who they were. I, I want to tell you here today that this is exactly the situation in our world. That our world majority of us and, and myself speaking uh, many years ago before I had come to know the Lord. We were walking around in ignorance, uh, walking around allowing the elements of the world and the things of this world to dominate my life, to dominate our circumstances. Uh, not realizing that we have already been set free. Not realizing that God had already liberated humanity from the things that would bind us, from the captivity of sin, from the bondage of vices and addictions and discomforts and all kinds of problems. We didn't know all this time, but I want you to know I've come to declare to this audience this morning that Jesus Christ has already declared the victory for humanity. Hallelujah. That when Jesus, when God came into this world, uh, he embodied himself in, in flesh uh, and he went to the cross uh, and he laid down his life. Uh, he shed his blood. Uh, he died upon the cross. Uh, and what he did in that one act on the cross of Calvary is he destroyed the power of sin and the influence of the devil uh, of the enemy here today. 
And I want you to understand that there are people still living in that kind of prison, in that kind of bondage. And maybe you're listening to this message today and you think that you might be in that circumstance. You were in bondage of sin. You were in bondage of all kinds of addictions. I've come to declare to you that victory has already been purchased. Oh, are there anybody in here that knows the the liberating power of the name of Jesus? Oh, I'll never forget the day when I gave my life to Jesus and I stepped into the waters of baptism and they called the name of Jesus over my life. And when I came out of that water, the Bible declares that the strength of sin is gone. It declares that the power of the enemy has been destroyed. I've been set free. I've been set free. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I I think that the world that we're living in today is much like like Wainwright in that prison camp. Bound up, didn't have the liberty, didn't have the victory to be able to to find help and and medical treatment. And that's a story that that we find ourselves in the book of Exodus. That the Pharaoh's greatest fear when he looked at the children of Israel is that they would rise up and that when the, there's an enemy that would come against them, that somehow these, these Israelite slaves would turn on their slave masters, the Egyptian. And I want you to understand that the Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Uh, the Bible cl- declares clearly that the devil is real. And, and I'm not here to glorify the enemy. I'm not here to, to give him any praise because it's none due to him. But I want you to understand the Bible talks about the devil very clearly. Even Jesus himself affirmed the existence of the devil. He is a spiritual creature that has wreaked havoc in this world. Uh, Jesus said that he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he also said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That means he's a defeated foe. That means the only power that he has was the power of the Japanese commandant that he had over the general was to keep him ignorant, keep him in the darkness, keep him blind to the reality of the promise that they are already free. I want you to understand the day that the devil wants to keep us in the dark. He wants to keep humanity blinded and deceived. That is his number one purpose. That is his number one goal. But I'm here to help somebody today to tell you that you can look to Jesus to find truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Oh, hallelujah. That knowledge of truth. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh, I've come to blast out the lies of the devil and remind you of the truth of the word of God. That when you get his word, when you get the light of truth coming into your heart, oh, it's going to set you free. It's going to liberate you from the lies and the bondage. Hallelujah. I, I think the devil's greatest fear is identical to pharaoh his fear is that the church will realize that it is mightier than him he is afraid that the church will discover a war going on and that we're going to join it he's afraid that when when we enter the war the church will ally itself with those that hate the devil the angels of god will be on our side The core of the devil's fears is the church will depart from the land of captivity. 
Amen. He, he said, if I could just keep them deceived, if I can just keep them from realizing how strong they are and just how powerful they are. As Satan looked over them, he tried everything as Pharaoh looked over the children of Israel. Pharaoh tried everything that he could to destroy them, to kill them. And yet somehow the more that they put upon them, the more problems and trials and, and hard. He said, make, make, it, make it harder for them. Don't, don't supply them the bricks. Let them make their own bricks. Make it a little harder for them. So they had to make their own bricks along with putting it together and building the great edifices of the structures of Pharaoh. They had to do that all for themselves because he wanted them to be ignorant and not realize just how powerful they are. Amen. I thank, God. I thank God that he has brought us into a church, that he's brought us into the body of Christ. But listen to me, even in the church, the enemy can keep us from realizing just how powerful we are. We've, we've grown up thinking, well, I've had this all of my life. My father, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. And so I've got to be the same. I've got to follow in the same path. That's all I've ever known. Uh, my mother was just uh, inconsistent. My grandmother was in. So that's all I've ever known. We've, we've kind of had this mentality passed down to us, inherited to us, uh, thinking that we are always bound uh, to the same kind of destiny. But hear me, the enemy doesn't want you to realize he doesn't want you to wake up to the fact that you are more powerful than you think. That there's something dwelling inside of you. There's a potential that God had birthed with inside of you. That when he fills you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, when he empowers you with his Holy Spirit, oh, there's a potential where the sky is the limit. Don't think you're destined to the mistakes of your forefathers. Don't think you are destined to the curses of your past families of yesteryear but when you come to God he's birthing in you a greatness he's birthing in you a, a promise and a potential that is greater oh come on somebody I don't know about you but I don't want to be defined by the past I don't want to be held hostage by the, my mistakes of yesterday but when I came into God God reminded me I've got something greater for you you don't have to be defined by your addictions you don't have to be bound by your vices and sin but God has got something greater for you well, I've got about 10 people that believe that. The rest, you don't have to believe that. But I want to talk to somebody that knows and understands that God has something wonderful and something great. You don't have to get stuck in the things that the enemy would bind you in. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. I know when you look in the mirror sometimes and when we look at ourselves, well, we always have this, this, this idea uh, this this mentality to kind of put ourselves down. Uh, I love that this little meme that I saw a little while ago of this uh, of how men and women kind of look at themselves in the mirror. This uh, big guy in the mirror look at themselves, but but what he sees in the mirror abs. He sees a six pack. That's kind of how I see. I said to my wife, I think I'm losing weight. She goes, No, no. Women are like the opposite. My wife's like, she's done really well losing weight. And, and she said, no, I, I think I look big. I said, no, no, you look great. <laughs> but the enemy would like us to think that we will never overcome these problems. That somehow it is, 
it is written into our DNA that we will always we will always follow the same trodden path, the same ruts that are created on the road by our forefathers and by our upbringing. And I know it is tough, but listen, here's what the Bible tells us. He says that when we come to God, he says to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Do you realize we have the capacity to change our minds? We have the ability to change the way that we think, that we have this incredible potential within each and every one of us to begin to transform the way that we think. He says, when you renew your mind, when you change the way that you think, there'll be a transformation that's going to take place. It's like that, that metamorphosis that happens from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You become a whole new creature. When you change your mind and begin to think the thoughts of God, you begin to remove the lies of the devil. You begin to remove from your thoughts uh, those words from the enemy uh, that are kept designed to keep us bound and, and to keep us locked up. But God said, I've already liberated you. I've already set you free. I've already opened the prison doors. All you've got to do is Get up from where you are and begin to walk with God. Begin to receive his word. Begin to have faith and follow. And I promise you something is going to change in your life. Even as you're listening to me preach this morning, these might just be words coming forth out of my mouth. Oh, but if you receive it with faith and if there's something deep inside your spirit to say, I believe it, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to follow Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, there is a miracle of transformation that can take place where he can take a drug addict and he can put him in the house of God, change his life, fill him with the Holy Spirit, make him into a new creature. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Deception is the enemy's number one tool. The devil couldn't, couldn't tell the truth standing on the Bible looking at Jesus in the eyes. He is the father of lies, the Bible says. And he's not going to come necessarily to, to, you know, as a, as a boogeyman one night as you're sleeping in bed with horns and a, and a tail and a pitchfork, a scary looking monster. Because he knows that if he does that to Pentecostals, we just get up saying, in Jesus' name, get out. <laughs> How many of you have ever done that? You feel like there's been an attack in your life. You ever had those, those stages when you're like half asleep and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm feeling something in this room right now. And, I, 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 you know, your body's frozen. Have you ever felt that? You can't move. And all, I, can't even, I can't even open my mouth. One night I was in bed, I said, oh, man, what's going on? I can't even move. I can't even say the name of Jesus. So you know what I did? I just thought the name of Jesus. I couldn't even know, and after a couple of seconds, I don't know, it felt like an eternity, but it was only a few seconds later that I regained consciousness as a word. I said, in Jesus' name, get out. He doesn't stand a chance, folks. Listen, when you've been baptized in Jesus' name, the name of Jesus is called over you. The power of Jesus' name automatically be, is yours. Even if you've only been baptized, only if you've only been walking with God for one day and you've been baptized, the name of Jesus is covering you. The blood of Jesus is covering you. And you might not know all the answers, but listen to me. You have the right to the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the word of God. 
that even a young lamb, a new convert can turn around and rebuke the enemy. We've got that power. But, but the, the enemy doesn't often come like that. He'll come with deception. He'll come with lies. Lies about God. Lies about yourself. And again, the scripture tells us when you know the truth, it doesn't say when you shall feel the truth. When the truth kind of gives you some kind of flash uh, uh, excitement. But he says when you know truth, it shall set you free. The word of God will begin to work in your life. Glory to God. One of the other things that he does, what Pharaoh did, because he was afraid of their potential, he decided, okay, every, every baby that's born, this is the first uh, massive uh, program of, of killing babies, which is what's what's happening in our world today. He said, every baby boy that's born, you're going to kill him. Because what he wanted to do, what Pharaoh wanted to do, was destroy the posterity of Jacob by destroying the next generation. And he wanted them to have no future. If there were no males, they, they would be, that, that, that population would, would eventually die out and they would be destroyed. The next thing that the enemy wants to do, he wants to, to destroy us. He'll start by destroying your hopes and your dreams of your future. A sad situation we see in the last couple of years where I read of articles of in the United States where pastors, pastors of mega churches, of large congregations into the thousands, they're committing suicide. Not, not necessarily from our organization, but pastors who, I mean, these guys are wealthy. These guys are you know, they have TV, ministries, and so on. And they turn around, commit suicide. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have time to unpack all of the, the mental illness that's associated with that. I believe there is a spectrum. There's, you know, the spectrum of depression where it's just, you know, times of being down to all the way to clinical depression where you will need medical intervention or the miracle of God. But, but something in them, and I read the article, something in them said that they felt that their family was better off Without them, they're being alive. And, and, and I couldn't understand that, that mentality, but, but I'm not quick to dismiss it as something that's, uh, that, this is, that I could never experience. But, but it's something that, that goes into the heart of a person where they lose all hope, where, where they feel like their circumstance, where they are, is it, totally, totally untenable. And, and folks... I believe deep in my spirit that that's, that's the enemy. That's the lie of the devil to tell us that, that you, there's no more hope, that there's no point in you living. Listen to me. I don't know who this is for, but I've come to tell you that regardless of how hard life gets, regardless of how deep the pit that you find yourself in, if you simply stay with God, if you keep holding to his hand, 
You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all of everything in your future mapped out of what's going to happen next year and 10 years from now. But you can trust in a loving God. You can put your faith in God. The enemy wants to destroy your tomorrow. He wants to destroy your hope. He wants to rob you of any hope, of any joy. He wants to, to rob you of your dreams and aspirations in God. Listen to me. If all you have is a dream like Joseph. If all you have is just one word from God if all you can do is get yourself to the house of God and you can barely lift your hands and you can barely lift your voice I'm telling you if you can just hold to God he's gonna see you through if you're still alive it means God still got a plan for you if you're still breathing it means God has still got purpose for you there's still a job for you to do he's got you in his hand and until he says no more I'm gonna take you you keep going every day hallelujah don't let the enemy what he's afraid of is that we will start believing our dreams is that we will start believing the word of God what he's afraid of is we'll start believing his promises are for me or for you it's real don't let him rob you of your tomorrow that's what he's afraid of I'll tell you what he's he's not afraid of a, of a preacher preaching up here or somebody with great talent his music but what he's afraid of is the child of God who's been battered who's been bruised who's been torn down who's been talked about who's been gossiped upon who's been lied about you know what he's afraid of that that child of God who gets up that morning and still says thank you Jesus you're still on my side thank you Jesus that you still love me I'm holding on to your promise If you've got no talent whatsoever, you say, Pastor, I can't get involved in church because I can't sing to save my... If I sing, everybody will leave the church. Don't worry. When we have to get people out of the church, we'll get you up to sing. We've got a job for you. You say, Pastor, well, I, I don't have much to contribute. I never finished high school. I, I don't earn a lot of money. I, I, you know, I don't have much influence with people. I, listen to me. If you, have, if you have the breath of life, if you can simply believe and have a tenacity... You know, you talk about a bulldog grip kind of tenacity. A spirit that says, I won't, just won't give up. I'm just not going to let go. I'm just not going to surrender. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got to finish. I've got to wrap this up. But that Japanese commandant said, keep him deceived. Keep him distracted. That's what Pharaoh did with the children of Israel. Let's get them busy. Yeah, you got to make more bricks. You got to get busier. Let them get so busy that they never realize that they can easily overturn us and defeat us. Don't get so distracted in your life that you've, you fail to recognize what God has called you to do. Don't get so distracted with life but let God be number one. Listen, I was, I was 18. This is for those who are, 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 have never heard me before. 18 years old, I was in, in drugs, smoking drugs every day. I was smoking pot, dealing drugs out of my house. That was where I was living. Remember that? Out of my mom's house. She never knew. She knows now. 
Sorry about that, Mom. Well, she was at work all day. I, I, miss, I miss 80 days in, in year 10. 80 days. I, and I lived across the road from school. Late every day. So I'm Filipino. <laughs> but I, I, listen, young people, don't miss school. I often look back in my life and think, Man, how would my life be different if I was in God at year 10 when I was 15? I, I often think about that. I said, man, I could have probably done well in high school. <laughs> I might have gone to uni. So I don't know. But that was my life. I had no idea that there was a power that was supernatural, even though I started delving into the, spirit, you know, the supernatural things through the drugs. I would hear voices. I would see things. And when I came to church, a friend, brother, my, my best friend brought me to church. He invited me, and, and that first day I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Listen, I never thought that there would be such a thing as a God who could give me such joy. that It was better than all the drugs that I took. For two years, I took drugs literally every day. I was stoned doing my HSC. But, and because I didn't realize it was there, I didn't realize that victory had already been purchased for me, that I had already been set free from the drugs. From the, and what I was looking for and searching for all of my life, taking the drugs, thinking that this was it, it was not. It was leaving me worse. It was leaving me empty. When I came to Jesus and God filled me with a spirit and I simply said, Lord, I believe your word. He gave me the Holy Ghost. When I was baptized, he washed me and I became a new creature and I receive this new promise I'm telling you whoever it is today you can receive God's power to set you free and liberate you the enemy wants you to remain bound he wants you to stay where you are he wants you to stay addicted and filled with vices he wants you to keep walking that that life of dysfunction and toxic relationships oh I've got liberty for you today I've got a declaration of truth Musicians, if you like to come, we can get so distracted, deceived. And even if you can't see the potential and the power that your, your solitary life has, I simply want to tell you the devil does. He sees what you're capable of. He sees what you can do with your life. And he is afraid. He is shaking in his boots at the prospect of the church waking up to its reality, waking up to its potential. Well, don't wake that sleeping giant, they said. This giant is on the march. We are on the rise. Hallelujah. General Wainwright, although tagged with this unenviable uh, title of being the only general to be caught by the enemy, was afraid to meet General MacArthur. Eventually, an Allied airplane landed near the POW camp where he was. 
where he was imprisoned, an American officer walked up to the fence and saluted him and announced, General, Japan has surrendered. Armed with that piece of truth, Wainwright limped all the way to the commandant's office. He opened the door and without even raising his voice, asserted these words. He said, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. I am in control now. You must surrender. Without firing a single shot, the emaciated, physically handicapped POW took over the camp from the well-fed, heavily armed commandant. And he was able to do it because the truth had set him free. I've come to serve notice to the devil today. My commander-in-chief has defeated you and all of your devils. And I'm free. I've been set free. Oh, hallelujah. The general was flown to Japan in a time of the surrender ceremony. And he dreaded the moment, as I said, he would face General MacArthur. Let's get that photo up. In spite of having been liberated, he was still full of shame of the loss. He still felt like a failure. And MacArthur walked to Wainwright. He could not resist the impulse to hide in the corner. MacArthur spotted him and called out to him. And Wainwright obeyed. And as he faced MacArthur, he completely broke down. A flood of tears overwhelmed him. He stood before his commander in self-inflicted shame that he had failed him, that he had surrendered. But MacArthur reached out to him, embraced him, and simply said, It's okay, son. You fought well. You fought well. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, even though we fail and falter, the loving arms of our Savior. Whether you leave this life with a million dollars in the bank or you don't have two, two dollar coins to rub together, and yet you've held on to Jesus, when our life on earth is through, we're going to hear those words from our commander where he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into to my rest, to my embrace. And he's going to embrace us. I want you to know he's going to embrace you today by virtue of his Holy Spirit, by virtue of his power. We can't see him physically. Oh, but I believe as you reach out to him right now, if you, you reach out with your hearts, with your voice, the Spirit of God is going to come to you and embrace you with his loving presence, with his wonderful, loving arms of embrace, as it were. Would you stand to your feet right now? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you can't see it for yourself, let me remind you how the enemy sees you. Because he recognized the power and the potential that you have. He knows the power that's dwelling in you by virtue of the Spirit of God. And certainly, your Savior knows that you have the ability and the power to whatever it takes to get through whatever you need to get through. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come out of your seats to this altar to pray. 
right now I want you to lift your hands and your voices every head bow and every eye closed we're gonna to talk to Jesus right now our commander-in-chief is here he's in this room he's as near as your very breath in Jesus name father we're asking you today Lord God as we come to recognize what you see what even the enemy sees that we what we fail to see of ourselves that in our own self-perception we're so quick to discount and to to allow look God the habits of the past and the mindsets and the uh, look God the strongholds in our hearts and minds to dictate how we are to live in a defeated way but today look God we're, we're we're turning that around today we're, we're receiving the, the victory that you have declared for us the liberty to set us free from every drug every vice every sickness every disease every kind of negative thinking every stronghold that is not of the truth that is that is set upon lies Lord God that is founded upon ignorance and lies we tear it down today in Jesus name and we want to walk into the victory of the promise of your word hallelujah in the name of Jesus hallelujah I've got to stop but I believe God wants to set people free here today but I want to invite you to step out from your aisle and come to this altar, this front, as everyone, ministers and leaders are making their way. And, and if you need God to touch you and set you free, it's as if you are walking out of that prison camp because the doors have been opened. The victory has been proclaimed. The liberty, the freedom is yours, but you've got to receive it by faith. If that's you today, if you'd like to receive the gift of his forgiveness, if you want to receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, if you want to repent of your sins and be baptized, I invite you to come out from your seats and find a place at this altar where you can talk with God, where you can give your life and surrender to him. Oh, there's victory in the house today. There's freedom. Maybe you've been walking with God for some time, but you're struggling with strongholds, with lies that have been passed down to you from others that you've believed for so long. It's time to remove them. It's time to, to unveil the, the light to come forth flooding in your hearts. Hallelujah, it's time to tear down those strongholds. Maybe there's a closeness in your heart, a mind. You close your mind to ever thinking that there could be a change, that there could be something more. Maybe it's been a battle between what you want and what God wants. It's time to, to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him. Hallelujah. This altar is open. Let's spend some time with the Lord.